Welcome to episode 30 of the Creative Life Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Andrews. If you're new, let me briefly introduce myself. I am a writer, author, editor, publisher, and blogger. Today, I'm talking with Kate Mildenhall. Kate is a writer and teacher. Her debut novel, Skylarking, is based on the true story of Kate and Harriet, best friends growing up on a remote Australian cape in the 1880s and the tragic event that befalls them. Skylarking was named in Reading's Bookstore's Top 10 Fiction Books for 2016 and long-listed for debut fiction in the Indie Book Awards 2017 and the 2017 Voss Literary Award. She's currently working on her second novel and she is the co-host of the brand new The First Time podcast, about a podcast about the first time you publish a book. As Kate and I are currently in the midst of writing projects, uh, this She's further along the track with her second novel than I am with my uh, my current one. I thought it would be interesting to sit down and talk about this particularly strange, confusing, exhilarating, and sometimes downright grinding stage of writing, uh, and how how someone can then drive through these these feelings and the ups and the downs uh, to just get the job done, basically. This talk is also an extension of sorts of an article uh, Kate recently uh, had published in the Victorian Writer, which is the magazine for members of Writers Victoria. And we explain more about what that piece was uh, about as we as we go through our conversation. It was very honest and, uh, and a vulnerable uh, talk. And ultimately, upon re-listening as I was editing this podcast, um, it was an affirming one as well because... These self-doubts that we wrestle with are, are normal, I think, and are to be expected. And, and then there, were, there are ways in which they, they can, those feelings can be managed. And I hope you find uh, the, the talk as positive an experience as I did. And I will uh, talk to you more on the other side. Kate Mildenhall. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. We are at my table, at my kitchen table, uh, which is becoming one of my favourite places to talk about these sorts of uh, creative and writing issues as as we nurse a cup of tea on a wintry, blowy day. And um, I think our conversation today is going to be of uh, interest to a lot of writers who might be finding themselves in the same place that we are at the moment, which is... Mid project, mid project, and because there is a lot of glamour and a lot of celebration attached to the end product, which of course is only natural and right. Yeah, um, but it's this middle area which oh. can be befuddling and ugly, ugly, yeah, and. It can sort of strip away any sort of uh, <laughs> enthusiasm you had yeah. about writing in the first place. Right. Even if you are writing on writing about something that you you still have a firm attachment or a passion for. Um, so yes, and this conversation is being was sort of born sort of out of an article that you had published in the Victorian Writer, which um, the most recent one at the time of recording, uh, and the piece is called Finding Home. So before we talk about the specifics of some of the things you talk about in the piece, I think that it generated online or, or 
you know, through social media, a bit of buzz, or was that? Did you were you surprised about that? I I, I, I certainly found that people, um, particularly people who might have been in um, their second or third kind of novel writing or project creative project, um, responded to the feeling of kind of come down <laughs> and not knowing of having a real lack of confidence um, after having been a, a, a confident writer or a confident person and finding themselves kind of just adrift. Um, so, yeah, so that certainly spoke to people, I think. Mm. So for those people who haven't, is it available online? I'm, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. I'll have to check that. But uh, in any case, if, if for those of you people who aren't familiar with it, it's a piece about how you talk about, yeah, these things about once you become adrift – how you can then come back to some sort of um, positive mindset to forge forward in in the project or what yeah. stage you might be in. And you quote a few other writers who've also uh, dealt with this topic in various forms like uh, Anne Lamott, uh, Charlotte Wood, Cheryl Strayed uh, and Elizabeth Gilbert. And... I think that one of the, the crucial uh, questions that you ask, and then there are several, is, uh, and I'm quoting now, how do you cultivate a grounded, sustainable confidence without being toppled by your own expectations? Yeah. Expectations, what do we do to ourselves? Hmm. It's, it's terrifying. And I think um, particularly for writers, and I've found this with a lot of writers that I've been speaking to about this issue, that... Um, to have got where they are, which is practicing the writing craft um, as an adult, they have been told along the way by others, or they've come to an understanding that they're they're pretty good at this. That you know that they've got some talent um, and they can really do it, and that at some point uh, that sustains you. That that kind of level of ego, I suppose, has to sustain you to do it because why else would we do it? There's no money, there's little success, you know, why else would we do it? Um, but there's also this moment, um, or many moments of rejection and failure and recognizing that things don't work and that kind of stripping back, um, that really does threaten to kind of completely stop the process. And I think what a lot of those other writers, um, talk about is, is finding this, space somewhere in the middle that is not um that is not that kind of high kerfuffle of um joy and happiness and confidence but it's not the other end that is just self-loathing and doubt Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you have to find this very mindful calm place somewhere Mm. in the middle where you just put your bum on the seat and get the work done um and that's I think what I realized I was really struggling with after the publication of my first book and my my first book I wrote very quickly and I've talked about this a lot partly because I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know I was writing a novel um I didn't have any expectations about the fact that it would get published and so it came out really quickly um but of course, then when you come to do it again, you realize you have a no idea mm. about the process, no more idea, maybe less than you did the first time. Um, and 
and you and others have an expectation about the product? Uh, that process of writing very fast, not knowing what it was, but something coming out of you, spilling out of you, reminds me a lot of uh, not the first novel that I wrote, but the second one, which I wrote after my breakdown. So over a period of six months, I had 130,000 words wow. spill out of me. Wow. And to this day, uh, even though that hasn't been published yet, I look back on that as just a remarkable sort of catharsis of this, and just in a pe- period of healing yes. as well. And so even if the words themselves don't end up being published in whatever form and no doubt it'll be rewritten, yeah. I, they're very special for that reason yes. as well. So I think, I think some writers and, and emerging writers or, or mid-career writers might find that as well, that if they have disappointments that come along that they can look back at some part or of a project or a whole project and go you know what even if it maybe didn't go anywhere I did learn from it and it made me it built me it built yeah and that you're a different person and a different writer at the start of those 130,000 words Mm. um to what you become at the end and I think that's taken me a long time to learn because you know, as a student um, and as a young writer, I, you know, I didn't throw out a lot of stuff. You know, I did a couple of drafts and I had something that was okay. Um, and I experienced success in that student kind of world of that. And then with Skylarking coming so quickly, and of course I drafted it and chucked out lots of words, but nothing like what I've chucked out on this second pro- project and, or second major project. And I think coming to recognize that every one of those words um, that I have chucked is really significant to how I've, I've got to the to where I am now. Mm. So speaking of this second project, you can go into as much or little detail as possible, but um, as you like, I mean, but you have, re- you've written, is it like the second draft or the, oh, or... who even knows what you would call it? <laughs> I, I don't even know what you would call it. Maybe the maybe kind of the fourth significant rewrite of it. Mm. And at one stage I did actually, um, on the advice of um, Charlotte Wood, who I did a, a wonderful mentorship with, and and she, it's from someone else, but I re-keyed the entire thing as well. So I, which I never thought that I would do what I thought, what an incredible waste of time. But I literally started a new document from scratch and and typed it, retyped it. From memory? Uh, no, with it next to me. Mm-hmm. With it next to me. No, I couldn't do it from memory. But um, but it was – and I probably did the first – I think I did about the first 30,000 words. I was on retreat for a week. Um, so I did the first 30,000 words every word. And then after that, um, I found that I would cut and paste sections in. So I didn't – you know, I kind of didn't do the whole thing. But – that was a really significant kind of structural editing process that talk me through that that's fascinating <clears throat> to me like part of me is absolutely terrified at that I know. prospect because I'm like but then I think well you, you would then I'm just guessing but you can tell me like yeah. when you t- retyping it yeah would you make you would you go would you stop mid sentence and go mm, hang on yeah absolutely and of course and and this is what Charlotte had said too if you can't be bothered retyping something, it has no place in your manuscript. So that was really important too. I think the other thing that was useful to me and validating in a way is that 
as I was going, I'd, I'd try and um, put something else in. I'd think, oh, that needs to go in there and then come, you know, realize that on the next page, I already had that idea or that um, emotion or sensation or that image. Uh, So that was quite validating that I knew where things belonged and I knew um, kind of the rhythm and, and beat of the thing. But it's been, yeah, it's, it's probably been, I started writing it um, just after, just after Skylarking came out. Uh, the other thing I did this time is that I've kept a journal, a, a separate document on my laptop of the writing process. And that's now hit a hundred thousand words. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's been useful. And partly Karen, I started it because when I was talking about skylarking after it came out and um you know doing interviews or panels and things like that I came to realize that I created this other narrative about the writing of it and it wasn't all completely true or not that it wasn't true but sometimes I got the chronology of things wrong or I I couldn't remember how a decision came to be made or why I had done something Uh, so that's partly why I started the document Mm. so that I could record the process and because it has been what I feel is a long process but I know that you know gosh it could go on for years more um it's been great to be able to go back and realize kind of what the touchstones of of the project are yeah and again that validation when I come back to something and go oh of course that's been in there the whole time and it's just taken you know to the fourth rewrite or the fifth rewrite to really understand how that has to um, show through in the manuscript so is that that journal or that documentation very different to what say for example I have at the end of my table here at the moment I document a lot of my work or my plotting or what have you ahead of time yeah I can see Uh, I love it and (laughs) I like to put down as much as I can about the story not so much the characters and we can talk to maybe talk about that in a little bit ahead of time so i it's a psychological thing for me that in that i like to have that there as a reference in case i do start to feel that self-doubt or that like oh my god what am i doing it's like a visual like oh that's okay it's okay it's okay uh calm down and then i can get back to it so uh, your journal seems like it's a little bit different to that it's a little bit more perhaps a little bit more introspective or yeah very introspective and I've used it um for different things I use it for um kind of goal setting as well um I use it to record how I'm going when I'm particularly if I'm on a retreat which I've done a couple of times um for this work I went I had a residency at Varuna and one at Bundanon and then with my writers group we take ourselves away a couple of times a year to write um and so I I like to check in with how those um, weeks go. So at the end of each night, I would write down what I'd done and what changes I'd made because I think often I work best in that really kind of intense period of time. I've got two little kids <laughs> and um, like you would know, you know, trying to write around the house and around the family is, it can be tricky. So when I go away, I, I write a lot and it's good to be able to chart how far you've come and that those um decision making processes but i am not great on plot and this book is much more plot driven one of the things i've had to guide me you know what i had in skylarking was the 
skeleton of a true story, which was fantastic. So I didn't have to think so much about plot. Um, this second project is in part a road novel. So I've got a, um, kind of a, you know, a journey through place, uh, and time, which helps, which has helped to keep me on track. Um, but I've done lots of crazy things to try and progress it. Uh, when I was at Varuna, I was having some trouble with character. It's, it's in third person, this novel, and I felt quite distant from my character. Whereas in Skylarking, you know, I was felt completely enmeshed with Kate. Uh, so at Varuna, I spent a couple of days writing thousands and thousands and thousands of words in, um, these kind of character interviews that I did just really quickly with my characters, literally typing as me, you know, how do you feel about this? Or why did you do that Mm -hmm. crazy thing? And the character would write back to me. And it was like a, you know, hear writers talk about those kind of fever dreams of just writing prolifically and um, feeling like the writing's coming through you, which is being a little woo-woo, but that was incredibly helpful. So I've kind of tried to trick myself in, myself yeah. in lots of different ways to progress this one. I, I've, I've done that in the past <clears throat> when I feel like I need to work out a character a little bit more than what I, I sit down and do that and yeah. pretend interview with them and I do find it helpful. Extraordinary. It's yeah. extraordinary. Um, what I should have... I, should have my pen in my hand because you said something that I really wanted to to uh, follow up on. Oh, that's right. I was talking about, I think, in this podcast and other episodes, I think in the past I've talked about how a lot of writers these days feel like that they need or they, that they ought or there's some sort of expectation about either getting a master's or, or a PhD and... Or, or feel like they need to go back to get some sort of additional creative writing guidance or, or um, that, that they may not even have had up until that point. I yep. haven't had any sort of formal creative writing um, learning. So, uh, and you're at the moment are studying at RMIT again. Can you talk to me about how you approach studying as an already published writer or and are yeah. there many others in the class in, in a similar sort of circumstance? Yeah, certainly. So I, I went back to um, the professional writing and editing course at RMIT when my uh, youngest child, just before she was one, and I'd always wanted to do it. It was a course I wanted to do when I finished school, but I didn't go and do it, and I'm glad now for that. Um, so Skylarking was a product of that course. I started writing it during a um, novel class or a fiction class and kind of kept producing it during the time I was at RMIT. I do it very part-time. I'm in my fourth year. Um, But what I think is extraordinary, I'm currently doing uh, writing for children, which is just so wonderful and I love it. And I think what's wonderful about learning about writing is just acknowledging that it is a craft that one can get better at um, all the time. And it's the same thing that we do when we go and hear writers speak or when we write, read about the writing process or we participate in festivals or um, with things like this podcast, you're learning from other writers um, about their process. And I think what's been so extraordinary for me is kind of an an unlearning in one part um, about what I thought writing was and writing novels um, was about. Uh, the RMIT course is incredibly practical. So 
it was the first time I think in one of the first lectures that we sat in there and people talked about, you know, when you get published. And it was the first time that I thought, oh my gosh, this could actually happen. Like maybe I actually will have a book. Um, so I think it allows that. The networking as part of it, like just um, the people you meet, the the connections that can be made are extraordinary. The the new reading that I've done from, from being in a course that just has taken me outside the reading that I'd done before. Um, if I could do this course forever, I would, I would honestly. And I think even in writing for children, you know, I read like you would a, a hell of a lot of books for children. Um, I've got two young children. So we read picture books and kind of moving on to chapter books now. But last week after I came home from the course, this subject, I kind of looked at our picture book um, shelves and just thought, oh my gosh, now I can read this all again differently because now I understand what goes into creating a picture book and the shape of it and the structure. And I think all those things, uh, I'm just continually excited by them and they make my, they make my writing better. Oh, <laughs> lovely. It does sound lovely. Yeah, I mean, speaking as someone who has a picture book at the moment that's still being worked on, yeah, it, and writing middle grade novel, historical yeah. novel. We can talk about historical writing as yeah. well. Um, yeah, it just uh, – I'm, I'm at that point like, does it teach me anything? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's partly – it's stuff that you – it is also you, – you know it innately. Like you know the shape of – what a, a picture book does and how yes. it does those things. And, and, but it's when someone who has written lots of picture books is standing in front of you and talking about it. And just, I think also the way it just um, generates ideas. Like I come out of those classes with, you know, last week we wrote two picture book drafts. Now, neither of them are really any good, but I learned a lot in that process about, about how to do it. So I think any way in, in which you can engage with other writers, online courses, conversations with writers, just being in the world is yeah. the, the kind of the writing world is really important. And I think there's like people should, who can't maybe can't afford to pay for courses or, or have the time to, to do as well, that they can access these things online. Absolutely. Well. Like through, through such things that like the podcast and medium, no, the medium of podcast. Yes. Get the sentence right. Um, YouTube is a good yeah. place. Interviews uh, with writers, all those that's kind right. of like the Wheeler Center is yeah. like an encyclopedia, really. Yes, of, of like great interviews and yeah. that have been all recorded or are available. So There's so much great content out there. Yeah, there really is. And then books and libraries as well. Like yeah. I'm, I always beat on about you know accessing public libraries. They're oh. there for us. They're there, and you know. Oh my goodness! And, I just walked through the other day and pulled off the shelf. Um, draft number four by John McPhee, which, um, yeah, which like, I didn't really even know who John McPhee was. And the book itself is fantastic on, on writing and on editing and heaps of great tips. But also I then went on to read a whole lot of, um, McPhee's work on geology and landscape, which is, which is, has got a lot to do with the project I'm working on. Like it just opened up this whole new thing to me as well. It was a really serendipitous moment. And that's what you do when you're in your library. You get lots of moments like that. Absolutely. That's, yes. Are you the sort of writer that loves being edited or or is 
because there are, there are some who don't they just they but you are i am i like being edited like i like that that dialogue that because you finally sometimes you hand over something to someone that you've been sort of keeping to yourself yeah and even though you're a bit frightened about the possible sort of reaction you can get it's also exciting to get. yes okay i can finally get yeah. some, some perspective from someone else yeah i think that it's um i think I've got better at it. So the first experience um, with Skylarking, that was really an intense experience too because I hadn't finished Skylarking when it was picked up for publication. So um, there was kind of editorial input at a a lot of different points along the way, um, which was at times terrifying and I had to have a big glass of wine or cup of tea and have a little cry at some of the feedback that comes back to you. Um, But... The flip side of that is your editor knows your work intimately and it's such a privilege to be edited by someone who cares so deeply um, about making your book or your piece the best that it can be. And I think there's an excitement now. I've got my, um, my current project is um, being read at the boat at the moment um, and I'll, I'll get some of the feedback back next week and of course there's trepidation and fear but but excitement too like what what will the reader pick out of it what will the reader like will they get what I was trying to do Mm. do you have any sort of writing affectations or superstitions when you sit down oh that's a good one um this time round in not hugely, but something that I have decided to do for my next um, adult project is to hold it closer for a long time. Skylarking I wrote, as I said, in writing workshops. So I was getting feedback the whole time and it was in that feedback loop that people were like, oh, that's exciting or I want to know more about that. So I kind of wrote to that. This, my second major project, some of the feedback um, that I got really early on was squashed it a little bit and so this time I'm not going to Mm. I'm not I'm going to keep it closer so when you talk about feeling squashed or quashed when you get that kind of feedback so how then do you get back the confidence or is it coming back to what we're talking about this morning just really just nothing beats just getting stuck back into it yeah I think that I think getting stuck back into it and realizing to shifting away from the pleasing model and realizing in the end that's been a scary thing for um the project that I'm working on now because it's not historical fiction it it's nothing like skylarking and part of the fear is that I'm creating something that no one will like um but it is also very deeply the book that I had to write now and about the things that I'm concerned about now. So I suppose getting so far into it that I was at a point where I knew that I was going to finish it regardless and that I was committed to it regardless of what happened in terms of publication or the feedback that I was getting. Um, And I suppose that's what I was writing to in that piece in um, Vic Ryder as well, that idea of having a, a personal deep sense of what the book is or what the project is and how you want to go about it that isn't 
so easily buffeted by the winds of good or bad opinion from other people. Yeah, because I think speaking for myself, it's hard because I have published my own work up until this point, all the main, all the big projects anyway. Yeah. Um, although I've been published by others at other times, um, with as a publisher, and I'm thinking, if I'm writing something and I'm thinking about the project as the project, a little publisher part of my head does think about this stuff ahead of time. Like, what is the market? Yeah. Who am I? Who is this for? Yeah. Like doing all those, asking all those, you know, business pragmatic things when the other part of me the the writer part of me just wants to just to shut that person yeah. up and just focus on the story because that is what is important That's... writing from if just serving the story rather than worrying about all that other stuff which as writers know these days that other stuff is very very important at down the road but it's that tension yeah even that even experienced writers now such as yourself who who experienced that that lovely world building or part of the story um writing of it and then having then to deal with other parties down the track so it's and i think you can't you're so right i think of course you have both parts in your head but you have to try as hard as you can to separate it and, and get the writing done. And, you know, a, a good example of that without going into all the gory details is that I, um, during the process of writing this book, I am no longer with the publisher that I was at the beginning. Um, and I suppose what that as, as hard and as trying as that um, situation has been, what it has helped me to do is to realise which little elements um, of the writing or which threads I was perhaps skewing because I was writing for a particular editor and for a particular publisher. And in fact, the freedom that I have subsequently felt along with the terror and all the rest of it, um, I think it has served. It has served the manuscript and the book. So, you know, that's been a hard lesson to learn, but one that I think will ultimately um, be really rewarding for the work and for me in the end. Yes. <laughs> we should do a follow-up to this once it's out and then we yeah. can look back and we're going, we can laugh. And go, hold oh. it in my hands, yes, potentially. <laughs> in, this, uh, in the Finding Home article, uh, you open it by saying that you you became an award-winning writer at the age of 12. I did. Um, mm. But although it, the piece doesn't say what it was, what this was about, was it was it prose or was it? It was a it was a. Um, I remember exactly. It was a short story, and it was a competition that John Marsden wrote, um, ran in the back of the first, probably the first edition of Tomorrow When the War Began, uh, which must have come out in that that year, and it asked school students across Australia to respond to the word tomorrow, and. Um, so I wrote this kind of uh, dystopian political uh, story about kind of war descending on um, Australia and a, a school, um, and yeah, and it was and it was shortlisted, shortlisted, and it was published in in uh, uh, a collection of the other stories that were shortlisted, and it was an incredible experience. I mean, you know, that taste of 
first publication. Like, of course. There is nothing else um, like that. And, and I have, in fact, um, met John a couple of times um, since. And the very first festival I did with Skylarking was Byron Bay. And uh, he, John, must have just had a book out. I can't remember which one it was. And he was in the signing tent with me and I... I kind of said to him, oh, you won't remember me, but you published me first when I was, you know, 12. And he did remember it. It was delightful. Um, And so it was that nice kind of circular moment to bring it back. Speaking of writers' festivals, we're currently in the the thick of festival season in Australia. And uh, I was wondering if you could speak about your experiences about visiting various ones around, around the country. Do you enjoy going to them? I do. I do. I really enjoy it. I don't, um, I don't have a lot of anxiety about, um, public speaking, which I know a lot of writers do. And I know that that can be really, um, hard for that publicity circuit. Um, but so I really enjoy the conversation and I really enjoy particularly the way that, um, festivals program people so that you get on such interesting panels and, um, often see the way in which, um, a, a festival programmer might like you to speak about your work as well. Um, I think that I love seeing other writers talk about their work as much as anything else and being in the world. I found it, I'm getting better at it, but I found it terrifying to start with the whole green room and how do you, you know, introduce yourself to other writers who you really admire and no one will know who I am and, you know, all those kinds of, terrible things as well um and I think probably that you know hoping that I get another chance um opportunity to do them again in the future one thing that I want to get better at is probably not being so agreeable you know I'm a I'm a pleaser like lots of um women in particular are and I think that that tendency to um be agreeable can work against you in a a festival setting where you also um, have a really short period of time to kind of um, put across your point or, or, or get that. And there's an opportunity for really great conversations. I think when people, I love those panels that I go and see where, where people don't necessarily um, agree on things or, or they can, they can really articulate a difference of opinion without it being a shouting match. Um, I think that kind of deep, conversation is really stimulating yeah i do i do too um i'm thinking back to a festival uh the speculate speculate literary festival Ah, that was in end of april and there were a couple of circumstances of instances of that where like there weren't flat out disagreements but there was like there was a question and and there was a response that i think perhaps went down a different path than yeah. what some of the other people in the audience might have been expecting but it was a it was refreshing to get yeah. like oh yeah I did like like wow absolutely that's a, that's a nice thing to sort of be brought up or yeah have been put into the yes the I'm mix. also so glad Karen for um people who can live tweet so that when you can't go to yeah. festivals um or you know international festivals and interstate festivals um that so often there's an opportunity for you to follow along with the conversation and I think even with um, you know Sydney Writers Festival this year that, that there was such um, a big conversation happening um, online about a number of the panels and conversations that went on and 
obviously nothing beats being in the room and, and seeing those panels yourself, but I really felt like I could follow along and then have some context for the think pieces that came out about that. Yes. Um, and it's, and it just makes it really accessible. Like you were saying before, maybe you are working full time and, and you can't afford to get to festivals. Like that's one of the things that I've really, really taken from being on Twitter particularly. Yeah, I think Twitter is is still, even though Twitter, like most other social media platforms, has its problems yeah. and problematic users, the the pros of outweigh the cons yeah. when it comes to things like that because it's it's such a a, a great delivery system yeah. for these sorts of discussions and absolutely how you can disseminate that that information. Also, talking about Obviously, winning a competition or even writing by the age of 12, was that is that sort of an indicator of writing as being an ultimate sort of um, vocation for you? Did you know back then that's what you would like to do? Um, honestly, I didn't think that I could be a published writer, even after that that piece was published there was such a reverence for books in our house um and even though I knew some people who had had stories published mum had had a short story published in a collection um and you know we had that book I I still didn't think that you could actually kind of do that as a job um and so even though I had I was known kind of as a, a kid who wrote a lot and I filled so many diaries with so much bad poetry as so many people did. Um, I And I wanted to do the, the writing and editing course when I finished year 12. I still I still didn't believe that I could kind of do it. And, and the thing, and I often tell this story to when I'm talking to school students, um, was also that I didn't experience a lot of failure with my writing during school. And the first time I was in uh, uni, I'd gone back to study teaching uh, and I entered the Alan Marshall um, Short Story Award um, and I didn't get anything. I didn't get shortlisted. I didn't get anything. And I thought, oh, oh, that's that, that explains it. Then I, I must be terrible at this. I'm no good at it all. And so I stopped. So I stopped writing for years and, you know, now I see that as a, um, I mean, it's a good learning opportunity now and I'm glad that I went back to it finally, but I could have very well stopped mm. then. And, you know, I talk to students about recognizing those moments of failure and <laughs> jumping back up from them and going again. But like the Alan Marshall short story was a good example because mm. I've had some success with that over the years um but yeah like and it comes back to, again to this confidence of the highs and the lows and how you how you ride that ride because yeah i i entered one story one year and got nothing mm. and then the following year i entered the same the same story which you could you could do back then but it was quite heavily reworked yeah. and then it won that year for the the local section and it's just like i was thinking you know woo-hoo, like all that euphoria and I was just like oh okay so it's like that year was like that that's the reward for the room yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> of course it is and then a couple other years 
uh, I entered and didn't get anything as well, but those stories weren't up to chop, really, mm. frankly. And then, um, yeah, and then so then last year I had that again of that experience of, oh, okay, I was okay. So it's yeah, it's and it might be that they are like you say then that those stories um, weren't up to chop. Maybe they were as well. That you know, short story competitions in particular, like it's so competitive in There's, Australia. Yes. There's so many people writing extraordinary short stories, and we talked about this um, in an interview we did for um, the podcast that I'm doing. That it's almost it feels like it's almost easier to get a novel published than a short story because there's just um so many people writing such excellent um quality of of short stories so I think I think that idea too where you realize that ah it you know it's up to the whim of the judges it's also got to be something that's often unanimously agreed upon so even though someone may love a story someone else may hate it yeah, and there's a, you know there's so much that that goes into it um so I think people recognizing that sometimes they have worked a story up to the best that it can be and it still might not win um and how else you gather yourself together and your confidence together to go on with the the next thing is what's that's right because, so hard yeah because I think some sometimes people as you say who do stop after a while and there are writers I think out there who they might persist for a, num- a number of years or a number of time a bit of time and then they just go and I feel so I feel bad because I can understand mm. that that kind of mentality as well so I, I for me I think what stops me from doing that when it comes to short stories at least anyway is because if there's a as I write lots of them if there's one that like I, my mind just keeps going back to I just think oh yeah. there's something there yeah. there's something there that I think whereas there are other ones they can kind of fill sink to the bottom but the yeah. other ones that just sort of stay there I think they're the ones if you if, if a writer does have a story like that then they shouldn't let it go no and and I yeah I think and I think now there's so many different opportunities to you know publish in different ways or to share stories in different ways to read them at local readings um you know that if if you think that your piece is deserving of a reader then ultimately you'll find a way to get to get a reader of that story as, as well um in whatever way that happens and that often that's as as rewarding I say that and I know that that's that's not always true but you know I I read the start draft of this middle grade um work that I'm working on last night it's just the very start of it to my daughter who's been helping me with it and her face you know when I got to the end well mum where's the next chapter like come on you know and she's my daughter obviously um she's gonna love it but she said oh mum this story is gonna make you famous and it was just like that's the joy right that's the joy in in reading that part to her and her excitement at wanting to find out what happens next yes you know at that point (laughs) last night it might not be in the future but that was enough Yes, for there's, that. there's little wins. There's need. little wins. There's little yeah. wins and there's big wins. I think yeah. the little wins are much, um, you know, can help you sustain you more. Yeah, absolutely. Because the big things may not only come around once every 10 years or so, you know, yeah. if ever. So, yeah, that's exciting. Like when I've um, 
read to my kids. Like my ki- like because with my because I work in such different areas. Like yep. if I want to read them a poem, I get a unanimous no. <laughs> no, thank no, you. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, and then they've um, my son who is the bigger reader. He's an independent reader, so he would prefer to go read my picture book anyway yep. by himself. Um, but this project I'm working on now, oh, that everybody has an opinion on. Yeah, this. of course. It's middle grade. It's of it's in there, um, and they and so the other night I was having a particular problem with. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but like the the climax to my story, I wasn't yeah. quite sure how to get those beats to get there. Yeah. And I sat everybody down at the table when we were having dinner. I said, I'm having a problem with this. Oh, they were chopped us to be sort of like okay and so we we went around the table for 15 minutes thinking about how we could and some of those ideas i think are gonna make it Absolutely. into the story and because like, it's just like oh yes that would work brains trust work. yes but with the exact readers that you need for yeah. that work it's brilliant yeah and i was just like oh all right this is cool yeah can, and um it was just yeah it's that little win of finally <laughs> getting that excitement yeah something that like, i've like been exhausting because it is exhausting i think that's another thing that readers not necessarily writers may not understand this is mentally exhausting trying to think up all these imaginary things it really is and And it's like just tiring yeah and and to and to keep to keep going with it when you just think oh god so any more hours you know when you add up the hours and you think my gosh has this all been wasted time <laughs> yeah. yeah that can be terrifying too okay but to end our conversation on a positive note yes i would like you to offer the listeners what one piece of advice would you give to people who want to be more creative i think oh that's a really good question i think one thing that i would do is to make space for that creativity and play and curiosity and so whether that is as a writer having a notebook and you know jotting down weird words or um, any of those things or whatever particular field it is that you're in I think you you have to open up some space for that and it's really hard, especially when you can fill your ears with podcasts and, you know, have social media on your phone the whole time. But to have those moments where nothing else is going on and you're walking or you're hanging the washing on the line and you're just making space to let those creative thoughts into your brain. Yeah. It's really important. It is. It's that being present. Because yeah. when you're present, that's when you you do access things in a different way. Yeah. And then engage with it. That's why I find I need to get into that space to start to write poetry more than anything yes. else, I think, as well. Because I mean, even though I need to do that for other things, that's how I kind of get into that zone mm. for that. So that's excellent advice. Before we go, would you like to tell people about this podcast of yours that you've mentioned a few times? Yes, I would love to. So the podcast is called uh, The First Time and it is uh, myself and a fellow writer Catherine Collette whose debut novel The Helpline is coming out in September we chat about all the questions that she has about how to deal with you know 
social media and how to launch a book and how to deal with an interview and how to go to writers festivals etc all of those kinds of questions um but more than that in each episode we interview uh, an australian writer about the first time they were published and what they've learned since then Mm, excellent so that would be obviously available on all major platforms it is and we're on twitter and instagram at the first time pod beautiful Kate, thank you for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. If you would like to look up Kate on the internet, you can find her at katemildenhall.com and her Twitter handle is at katemildenhall, which is a nice, easy one to remember. If you're after some more tips and uh, other sort of affirmative writing uh, advice, uh, I might also suggest, if I may, uh, my book, Trust the Process, which was released late last year. Uh, Trust the Process contains 101 tips uh, on writing and creativity, and not only from me, but from a, a number of some of Australia's most respected writers, including Lisa Dempster, Kelly Gardner, Lisa Heidke, Eliza Henry-Jones, Lee Kaufman, Summer Land, Laura Jean McKay, Angela Meyer, Penny Rustin, Annabelle Smith and Fiona Wood. It can be found at karenandrews.com.au forward slash shop or at other online realtors such as Booktopia or Book Depository or your local public library. And uh, as Kate and I did discuss in the in the podcast just then public libraries are, are wonderful and are, are a real treasure and a treasured resource and just to note as well if they don't happen to have a book my book or any book in the catalog you can always uh, suggest that they make a purchase most uh, libraries have that uh, facility either through an online portal or you could probably even just ask them in person my uh, online home, as I've already said, is karenandrews.com.au or you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at karenandrewsau. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as I did. And until next time, take care. <laughs>